0: There's a dramatic scene unfolding on the streets of Sri Lanka's capital, Colombo.
1: There's a big crowd of youth that have gathered here, mostly youth. Marisa de Silva has been protesting along with them. They would like for the president, Gotabe Rajapaksa, to step down, his brother to step down as prime minister, and all of the Rajapaksas and the current government to step down.
0: Sri Lanka is suffering from power cuts, high food and energy costs, and yesterday, April 12th, the Rajapaksa government announced repaying the billion Sri Lanka owes right now would be, quote, challenging and impossible. But when it comes to running the country, they haven't given up.
1: The president refused to resign, even with all of this outcry of mostly his constituents who brought him into power. And so the protests continue. At the moment, the chant Gota is an idiot, seems to be general theme through most of the protests. One of the most powerful political families in Sri Lankan history has terribly fallen from grace. So, yeah, it is a historic moment for Sri Lanka, and I really hope that the people prevail and the people win.
0: I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, We'll get back to Marisa and the streets of Colombo shortly, and we'll also head to the hospitals and the markets where Sri Lanka's current economic and political crisis is really being felt. But first,
2: I am Ahilan Kadir My family was exiled at the start of the war in Sri Lanka back in
0: 1983. And now, Ahilan Kadir is an economist, a senior lecturer at Sri Lanka's University of Jaffna, and a democracy activist.
2: And I grew up in different parts of the world, in Tokyo, in New York.
0: To understand what's happening in Sri Lanka now, he says, you really need to know where the country is coming from. Independence in 1948, then a 26-year civil war.
2: After the war was over, I want to really understand how A war-torn country can be rebuilt economically, so that's what really got me interested in the political economy of Sri Lanka.
0: Well, it makes you the perfect person to talk to, so I'm glad we have you. We were supposed to speak with you about half an hour ago. Can you tell us why you were delayed?
2: Power cuts. Over the last month, every day, there are a few hours of uh, power cuts, sometimes as long as 13, 14 hours. Today, I I came for a meeting to the capital city, Colombo, and these are some of the hottest months in Sri Lanka. So we normally use a ceiling fan to keep us cooler, and when the power goes out, then there's no electricity, there's no fans. Sometimes the food in the fridge can go bad, so you, you start to plan your life around these power cuts. But what's even more worrying is that for small producers, I work with the cooperatives. They might have a little coconut oil mill. They can't even produce. So this is affecting the entire country.
0: These power cuts are one part of what seems to have brought on a pretty serious crisis in Sri Lanka.
1: They've
2: suffered through the worst power cuts to be imposed in more than 25 years.
0: I'm talking protests, government resignations.
2: The entire cabinet has resigned. We are doing what we can. We are standing our ground. And we're staying here to say, no, you
1: have to go. We need a better country.
0: Tell us what's been happening.
2: Over the last two months, not only the power cuts, a lot of essential goods are in short supply. Petrol and diesel are not available.
0: For Sri Lankans panicking to purchase petrol, it may seem like they're watching their economy crash in slow motion.
2: The price of rice, which is our staple, has gone up. I've not eaten from morning. I can't go to work. The pay we get is not increasing, but they have
0: increased prices of all food items.
2: Milk powder, some medicines are in short supply.
1: There's no gas, there's no petrol, there is nothing to eat, there is no medicine. What can we do? If this continues, we will have to jump into the sea.
2: This anger has been building up and spilling over into the streets. And now people have had enough. And they have calling for the resignation of uh, the president, Gautabaya Rajapaksa. His family, the government, was stacked with his family members. His brother is the Prime Minister. His brother, Mahindra Rajapaksa, who got the highest votes of any candidate in the August 5th election, was sworn in for his fourth time as Prime Minister. Another brother was the Finance Minister. And finally, last week, the entire Cabinet resigned, but the President and the Prime Minister did not. And there are continuing protests calling for their resignation, asking them to go home, because people have just had enough. So the protests are everywhere. And on the way, I could see thousands of students marching around the capital city, but it's also spreading to other towns as well.
0: Have you seen this before, or does this feel unprecedented?
2: The widespread character of it is really unprecedented. All ethnic communities are coming out and saying they want their daily needs.
1: Over the past 74 years, there's aspirations for new youth to get into power, to start new movements, and to give the country a fresh start.
0: Marisa de Silva, who you heard from in the beginning, says this goes even beyond the president and the current government.
1: There is also a disgruntlement with the opposition for letting things come to this stage for not doing anything so far and for for not having given proper leadership to our people
2: they are tired of a government that doesn't listen to them so it's nothing like i've seen in my lifetime
0: there used to be energy and food and medicine ahilan insists it wasn't always like this Starting
2: in in our late colonial period and then in the decades after independence, we started building hydroelectric power plants. Using large rivers and so on was what we were dependent on. Not everyone had electricity, our rural folk didn't have electricity.
0: But as the demand for power grew, Sri Lanka started depending on other sources of energy too. Burning coal, for instance, Ahilan says.
2: Or when there wasn't enough rain, then we were dependent on diesel generators. The positive thing is that unlike other developing countries, 99% of our people have electricity. But there hasn't been proper planning when it comes to electric power.
0: What about food? What does it look like on a shopping trip for you now versus what it looked like perhaps at the end of last year?
2: Well, if you go to a grocery shop in a village, which is what most people would do, a lot of items may not be on the shelf.
0: Some shelves in shops have been empty, and basic goods like milk are being rationed.
2: Milk powder so that they can produce a glass of milk for their children. The shopkeeper might say, well, come back after a month or a week. Or they would look at rice, which the price of rice had gone up by 50%. And it's, prices are our staple. So somebody who's at the bottom of the social ladder, who struggles even in normal times to buy rice for their family, suddenly has to pay 50% more. And with the pandemic and all the disruptions, their incomes have also reduced.
0: Why has food gotten so expensive? And of course, a large part of this all over the world is the Russia-Ukraine crisis. Is that so for Sri Lanka?
2: Food prices had started to increase even before the war in Ukraine for the reason that we did not have enough foreign exchange. So in the 1970s, vegetables, dairy products, all of that became dependent on the global market. We had to have enough foreign exchange to continue to import these goods. And as we went into a foreign exchange crisis about two years ago, along with the pandemic, then suddenly we were not able to import all these goods regularly. And that led to major price hikes. But there was another reason the president decided to ban chemical fertilizers. And the ban on chemical fertilizers has led to a huge drop in agricultural yields, which means, for example, if you take Rice, in which we are almost 100% self-sufficient, over the last year, rice yields have fallen by 40%. And this is in a time when we don't have foreign exchange even to import rice. So it's a very worrying situation where we might be looking at famine-type of conditions in the future.
0: And in addition to that, for some families, medicine can be the most essential good of all. Dr. Vasan Ratnasingham represents the Government Medical Officers Association, Sri Lanka's oldest medical body. And he had one message he wanted to get across to our listeners.
2: There's an impending disaster situation to occur in the health sector.
0: He says part of the problem is a massive drug shortage he expects will get worse. There's a shortage of five vital drugs and 180 essential drugs. Not
2: only that, there is a shortage of surgical crew.
0: Doctors are warning of catastrophic deaths. Sri Lanka has been forced to call for all but essential surgeries to be paused. And hospital workers are joining other protesters on the street. The Castle Street
1: Hospital is a place for women that deals with any emergency at any time. But when we don't have the required supplies, we can't provide a good service, and that's the situation now.
0: But what's causing all of these problems? I asked Ahilan what thoughts were spinning around now in his head. So this all stems from a dire economic crisis. And we've seen a number of different explanations. Some will point to the president, Gotabaya Rajapaksa, cutting taxes. That has been a major drain on Sri Lanka's budget. There was also a plan to turn Sri Lanka toward organic farming exclusively, which meant cutting back on fertilizer when we're talking about the food shortages, where, as an economist, do you place the blame?
2: Yeah, there have been various explanations. You know, people point to different causes. Recent war in Ukraine has led to major increases in commodity prices. The government itself points to the pandemic. Sri Lanka's tourist earnings were completely shut down. Men and women go and work as migrant workers in the Middle East, in Southeast Asia. Their remittances have been declining over the last two years. In fact, if you compare with other South Asian countries like India and Pakistan and so on, Sri Lanka has much lower levels of relief to the people during the pandemic.
0: But Ahilan says he thinks Sri Lanka's current economic crisis goes even further back.
2: It goes back, I would say, to even the late 1970s when Sri Lanka was the first country in South Asia and one of the First in the world, even to liberalize its economy, which means that you allow cheaper goods to come in and that might end up reducing your production at home, you know, well before globalization became a conversation point.
0: So you are pointing to the 70s as the very root of this crisis. Why did it take so long for what we're seeing today, which, as you've mentioned, is an unprecedented show of? anger on the streets.
2: Because in 1977, they started to open up our economy, which meant giving importance to free trade, to the free flow of capital, privatizing state enterprises, cutting social welfare measures. And in the late 1970s into the early 80s, we're showing much higher growth, a lot of capital coming in. But when that started to peter out, the government became more and more repressive. Because as the economy started to go south, they tried to deflect it by going after the people, by attacking the Tamil minority. They crushed the trade unions and about a state of emergency. We soon went into a civil war from 1983 to 2009.
0: The UN accused Sri Lanka's government of killing more than 40,000 Tamil people over the course of that civil war.
1: Thousands of Tamil civilians were trapped on this strip of land as government forces and the liberation tigers of Tamil Elam fought out the last weeks of the war.
2: It was a long, protracted 26-year war. Our GDP probably would have been twice what it was if not for the war. So that had a huge impact. And with the end of the war, in 2009, there was a lot of capital from the West flowing into the emerging markets, as they were called.
0: Back in 2009, you may remember, the global financial crisis had just hit the U.S. and Europe. And that had investors looking for opportunities elsewhere.
2: And Sri Lanka was not only considered an emerging market, it was also considered post-conflict economy.
0: Sri Lanka's gross domestic product grew 8%. And that's a big jump for this tiny country, Ahilan says.
2: And within 18 months, our stock market quadrupled, was one of the best performing stock markets in the world. But it was a bubble of sorts. That was all through speculative investment in infrastructure, building large hotels, and tourism was the catch-all solution. But there wasn't really the return from all that investment. Sections of the country were becoming more and more indebted, and the country was able to survive by taking on more debt. From 2007, Sri Lanka started floating sovereign bonds. These are loans that you sell in the capital markets in New York and London, and you repay them in five, 10 years. The interest rates for a country like Sri Lanka are very high, on the average about 7.5%, which in about 10 years, doubles your loan. At some point, it's going to push you into a crisis. So if you look at Sri Lanka's external debt currently, about 40% of it are these sovereign bonds.
0: When we first spoke to Ahilan, those bonds were coming due. $1 billion due by July and billions more by the end of the year.
2: Yeah, the $1 billion loan in July in particular is owed to various investors in the West. It might be big banks, mutual funds big private financiers, so it's not owed to any one individual. So it's very hard to negotiate it. The other, you can try to negotiate and ask for an extension.
0: This week, Sri Lanka is asking for that extension. For the first time since its independence, it could be defaulting. And the country still has $51 billion it owes. The Rajapaksa government has plans to meet with the International Monetary Fund about a bailout next week. They're also seeking help from China and India.
2: The real problem is that, in a way, Sri Lanka has been living beyond its means. For example, last year, our exports were on the order of about 12 billion U.S. dollars. Imports were about 21 billion U.S. dollars. So how do you bridge this trade deficit is the big question. And the way to do that would be to prioritize our imports, to focus on the essentials. So that would be food, medicines, oil, because you need oil for transport, for any economy to run, and intermediate goods that are necessary for exports and production. One of the worries now is that we go to restructure our loans, and if you go for an agreement with the IMF, one of the conditionalities might be to market price energy which would then shut out electricity for large sections of our people. There's even the possibility that we might go bankrupt by defaulting on these international loans.
0: So protesters are calling for Sri Lanka's president, Rajapaksa, to step down. And already since these protests have started, he has lost his majority in parliament. Ministers have resigned, including the finance minister, the president's brother... The cabinet resigned. There's a new central bank head. Will all of this be enough to solve what seem like pretty big problems? Or Are we at least on the right path?
2: I think if you ask the protesters or most people in Sri Lanka, the president is still in power. His brother is still the prime minister. And I don't think people are convinced. Sri Lanka needs to really chart a different path altogether. While the protesters are only calling for the Rajapaksas, the president and his family to go back home. I think we really need a much better plan in place as well. And nobody's thinking of that plan, including the opposition in parliament. This is probably going to be a very long, drawn-out crisis. There needs to be relief to the people because these centralized structures have failed and, and, and that's what the protesters are vocalizing now. The president who came with a landslide victory within two and a half years they're asking him to go home so we have to come up with innovative solutions we might have to consider something like a wealth tax or a property tax and when an economy is shrinking it's, it's very hard to raise taxes i think whether we like it or not we are in in the weeks and months ahead we are going to be forced to make some of those decisions
0: Certainly Sri Lanka is in its own situation with its own dynamics, but it isn't the only country facing high fuel costs right now, high food prices and protests or potential protests. Should other countries be watching what Sri Lanka is going through right now as a
2: warning? I think so. I often tell my students about what they should be looking at of other countries. Sri Lanka has been a front runner. We've seen what this kind of liberalization, this kind of opening up, without focusing on self-sufficiency, without considering human development. And when an economic crisis hits, the middle classes may somehow survive, but the working people, they are the hardest hit. They are children. And before such a crisis unfolds, we should ensure that there are mechanisms to be able to address it. And I hope other countries in a similar situation learn some lessons from Sri Lanka so that they don't have to go through this kind of pain.
0: And that's The Take. But before you go, we have an announcement. We're proud to say that we have been nominated for an award, a webby People's Choice for Best Podcasts in the News and Politics category. It's for our episode entitled The Journey of a Haitian Migrant. Remember when there were so many Haitian migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border last year? And then they disappeared. We found one of those people, and he told us what happened next. It's a gripping story, and we'd love for you to check it out if you haven't already. And then, help push us over the finish line. Head to our Instagram and Twitter feeds. We're at AJ the Take, where we'll post a link to vote. <laughs> This episode was produced by Amy Walters, with Ney Alvarez, Ruby Zaman, Alexandra Locke, Nakeen Oliay, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan, and our engagement producers are Aya al and Adam Abu And we want to send a special thanks to Indrajit Samarajiva. He has a newsletter and blog with great analysis and great writing on what's happening in Sri Lanka right now. We'll link to it in the show notes and on Twitter. We'll be back.